0: Well, good morning again. You know, that picture that Audrum was making fun of me about. uh, I know how to change a tire. I've changed it before, all by myself, now that i got something to prove. Uh, But that may be the only time it took two jacks to change a tire on a small car. Here's a word for you worry wart. It's one word. Anybody know how to spell worry wart? It's W-L-I-F-E. No, that's not it. Uh, W-O-R-R-Y-W-A-R-T. Worry wart. According to the dictionary, a worry wart, and this is a legitimate entry in a, in a dictionary, a person who is inclined to worry unduly, a hand wringer, a nervous Nelly. Nervous Nelly, a phrase I guess that got coined a little less than 100 years ago. Someone who's just naturally a worrier. Now, uh, I don't want to ask you to raise your hand and worry about it, but is anybody in here a worrier? Like you, you know that you worry a little bit more than the person next to you, likely. You just, for some reason, Concerns and the future situations, they weigh heavily on your mind, and without you wanting it, without you meaning to, they sneak behind you like a ninja and just attack your heart, and you just get to ruminating over things and mulling over the future and potential conflict and things that are going on, and you worry. That's a worry wart, as the dictionary calls it. And worry right now is is really at an all-time high in our country. There was a study done last year because of the pandemic and things like that, that an association wanted to understand in America, this is just North America, uh, or just the United States, how are people doing when it comes to worry and anxiety? And there's an association called the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, the ADAA, and that title alone, I would think, who would want to sign up for that group? Like, who wants to pay their fee to be a part of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America? But they're trying to to solve problems. Anyway, they say that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States right now. It's not depression, and it's not other things. Now, I know we have different views when it comes to mental illness. Even that whole thing, mental health is such a hot topic right now. But this is so prevalent in our culture that this is the number one stated mental disorder in the United States. It's anxiety. It's worry. They say it's affecting 40 million adults age 18 and older uh, every year. It's about 18.1% of the population. And it's rising. Kids at younger and younger ages are showing signs at least saying and confessing that they are struggling with anxiety and worry. They're worrying too much. People with an anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and they're six times more likely uh, to be hospitalized for different psychiatric disorders uh, than those who don't struggle with anxiety and, and say that they struggle with anxiety. So anxiety is very real in our culture, there's people in this room that struggle with anxiety. I mean, 18.1%, that's a number of people in this room. That's over a few dozen people in this room that struggle with this. Some struggle silently, some take medicine, some try to exercise, there's different ways in which people try to battle eating healthy. But people struggle with anxiety and that's nothing new. In Jesus' day, his followers, his disciples, the people in their day struggled with worry with being anxious, with with thinking about the worst possible scenario, maybe. And studies have shown that worry and anxiety have negative effects on our lives, not just our minds, but even our physical health. They say it can make us feel trapped, helpless, or embarrassed. We may have feelings of impending doom. We may get chest pain. We could have heart palpitations. It raises our blood pressure. It causes us to go into that uh, fight-or-flight mode. And people really are affected this their whole lives, their whole day could be affected by worry and anxiety. And the most consistent factor involved with worry is fear. Worry is actually a symptom, and it's a symptom as a, a result of fear. All definitions that connect with worry use the word fear in them. It all stems from fear. Fear. And people are overwhelmed with fear right now. In our culture and in other cultures, other countries, they're dealing with fear. So much has changed in our culture in just one generation that people that are young, 40-year-old, 50-year-olds are saying, I feel like I'm in a totally different place. I feel like our country's different. Our, our laws are different. Our kids are different. Everything is different. And they're young people feeling already like they're behind. The newer generation is dealing with things that just 10, 15 years before, the previous generation wasn't dealing with. We fear the future for our kids and ourselves. We wonder what kind of church are they going to grow up in? Are they going to teach the truth? Are they going to be able to? What are our grandkids going to deal with? And Jesus spent time preaching about worry. And I want us to be able to read his sermon, read his teachings on worry, and make some observations. I'm just going to make four observations about Jesus' sermon. This is less of a point sermon and more of, come along with me and listen to his sermon on worry and see what we can gather from his sermon, what he preached about. And so let's take some observations. And I want you to think first about the people he preached to. You know, he's not preaching to 21st century America. He's not preaching to people like us. Let's think about his, I mean, they are like us, but let's think about his audience. The people that Jesus preached to were living under an oppressive government that showed favoritism to their own people and not to the Jews. When Jesus was preaching, he primarily preached to Jewish men and women. That was his first target audience. Now, of course, that spread out to the nations, but he began with the Jewish people. And they lived under Roman rule. Now, there was freedom in a sense. You had Roman peace, the Pax Romana. You had this idea of Rome saying, you can worship your God, but you've got to do it in such a way that there's no rebellion. There's no revolting against the king. You can't say someone other than Caesar's king. You have to be very careful with the way that you practiced your freedom, if you can even call it a freedom. And so they lived under an oppressive government. I don't know if you can imagine our government turning in such a way that Christians are not only not favored, but they're oppressed and you can't express your views, you can't follow them the same way. That's the people that Jesus was preaching to. They were taxed unfairly, so there was a lot of their money that was given to this oppressive government and they couldn't change that or else they would be persecuted and killed Most of them were considered low income for our standards. So they didn't have a lot of money. Some of them didn't know where the next day's meal was going to come from. Ninety percent of them were what we would consider poverty in their day. They lived off the land, and if there was a famine, a drought, or anything else, they would be in serious trouble. There was no grocery store, and there was a marketplace, but there wasn't like there is today. They didn't have fridges. They didn't have pantries. They didn't have stock houses like we do. Nearly all of them, except for some wealthy people, lived in a, if I don't work well today, I may not eat tomorrow kind of lifestyle. A lot of them did. And so when Jesus is preaching to them and he brings up worry, he's not talking to a bunch of rich people that aren't worried about their next meal. He's talking to people that legitimately have concerns. And he had just preached about not storing up earthly treasures in heaven. He just got done saying, you can't serve God in money. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. This stuff is going to waste away. It's going to go away. And then he begins in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, in Matthew chapter 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, and it ought to come on the screen any second now, Matthew 6, 25. It's coming. I know it. There it is. I See? I knew it was coming. I'm not a, I'm not a prophet, uh, <laughs> but I do work for a not-for-profit. Um, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Now, the reason he says therefore is he just got done telling them, don't worry about material possessions and give your life to storing up earthly treasures. And your natural thought would be like mine. We would be like, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm not worried about earthly stuff, what about food? You know, what about there are earthly needs. How can we not focus on material stuff. There is a, isn't there a balance? Isn't there a little bit that we should save up and store up in retirement? Isn't there some sense in which we should be concerned about earthly things? And so he knows what's going through their minds. He knows the teachings he's giving. He knows what they're going to be questioning. And so, so he says, therefore, I tell you, since you can't serve God in money and you don't want to store up earthly treasures, don't worry about your life. What you will eat what you'll consume, what you'll drink. Now, the Greek words, what you'll drink, are not in there. It's just eat. But the idea is eating and drinking. In the desert, they drink a lot because you die if you don't. You, know, you need to stay hydrated. So don't worry about consuming things for your, for your body in order to survive or about your body, what you will wear, like shelter, clothing, that, that allows you to, to, stay, uh, to, to stay healthy, to stay alive. You know, in the desert, if you go there, you could still see the Bedouin. The Bedouins, they're like desert dwellers. Today in Israel, you go to the Middle East, and it will surprise you in the dead of heat. As hot as it could be, they're covered from head to toe. And you might be thinking, dude, throw on some shorts, a tank top. Why are you so dressed up? It's to block their skin from the sun and becoming dehydrated. They've learned you actually have to cover up in the heat. And so he tells them, don't worry about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Don't worry. That word for worry. Don't be unduly concerned. Don't be so concentrated and focused on these things uh, because you'll miss what's really important. Now, the disciples, Jesus knew, would get anxious about their basic needs. He knew they would be worried about food and water drink. He knew they'd be concerned about that. But Jesus also preached about other worries. You know, you, you all are, are pretty rich compared to the world's standards. When the Bible speaks about the rich, he's speaking about us. 98% of the world doesn't know the richness that we have, the people in this room. There's a big percentage of the world that they don't have the same medical care and access that you do, the same food and water, refrigeration, things like that. Most of the history of the world hasn't had an abundance like you and I have had. So we're, can, we're what the Bible calls the rich, you and, you and I. But it's not just food and clothing that they would worry about, which I know some of you probably don't worry about your next meal. I mean, I know you're worried about lunch in the sense of you want to know what you're going to eat and you're excited about it. But you're likely not wondering, will I eat today? You're likely not concerned about that. And Jesus didn't only speak about those needs. He spoke about worry in other areas of life. The, the situation with Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. Martha was anxious about serving and hospitality. In Luke chapter 10 verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So, tell her to lend me a hand. Tell my sister you better help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are, he uses the word worried, you are worried and upset. Your translation might say distracted. You're totally consumed with this, how come she's not helping me? We've got to feed these people. That's the idea of worry. You're concentrated very strongly on one thing. It's a problem. It's a situation needing to be fixed. You're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. He knew and he preached about us being worried even about good things like serving and hospitality. How many of you serving hospitality like uh, people have, have been worried about someone coming to your home and it's not swept right and it's not cleaned right and, and things aren't exactly in order. Uh, I, I know a woman that does concern herself with that if, if she ever has people over her house and uh, she gets her husband to do quite a bit of work if, <laughs> if, if anybody else comes over. And it's a good thing. I think it's good. I mean, I'm not concerned about the same things, but I love her and I'm not, you know, I'm going to clean. Uh, or that guy will clean. So anyway... <laughs> So Jesus knew the disciples would be anxious about good things even. He also knew that people would be worried about sharing their faith in the midst of persecution. And this is very relevant for today. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 19 or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10 verse 19. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how you will answer or about how or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. Jesus was preaching to his disciples and he told them, it's going to get worse. And uh, here's one of the ways in which it's going to get worse. There's going to come a time when you want to share the very things I'm preaching, the truth. You want to share those things and you're going to be persecuted. And you're going to be persecuted in such a way that it's not going to be like, oh, my feelings are hurt. They are going to arrest you, and they are going to hand you over to the jailer. That's the idea. And you are going to be standing before some public official, some governor, some some judge. You're going to stand before someone, and you're going to be worried. What am I going to say? What am I going to do because the government doesn't like what I'm preaching? What am I going to say? And he says, don't worry about that. In that hour, the Holy Spirit's going to give you what you ought to say. Now, how many of you have sensed some amount of fear or worry over sharing biblical views on gender, sexuality, abortion, laziness, work, freedoms? How many of you have been legitimately concerned about what you're going to say when the government says, you can't say that anymore. You're not allowed to say that anymore. We're going to take your job. We're going to take your house. We're going to take your building. We're going to take your business. We're going to take your freedom. Have you ever been worried about that? I have. And Jesus says, there's going to come a time and you're going to be handed over. It's not going to be up to you. Don't worry about what you're going to say. If you're depending on God, if you're depending on the Holy Spirit, He'll give you the words to say in that time. So Jesus knew they were going to worry about many different things. Now, in Matthew 6, 25, I think, to 34, He's speaking primarily about worrying about survival, but worry expands beyond just surviving. But He tells them, don't worry about that. So He says, therefore, I tell you in, in verse 25 of Matthew 6, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about your, or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. And then he poses a question, and this is the first observation we're going to make is based on this question. He poses questions so that they're going to start thinking the right way about worry. And the first four observations that we're going to make are really just about worry. Why, why is Jesus commanding us not to worry? What's so wrong with worry? I know a lot of people that make a hobby out of worrying. So what's so wrong with it? And so he tells them, and it begins with that question. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, why? Isn't life more, and when he says more, he means more significant, more important. And so we make our first observation about worry. Worry, he tells us not to worry because worry neglects what's important. Worry neglects what's important. See how he says, isn't life more than food, the body more than clothing? He's he's posing an argument. When you worry, you neglect what's most important. You're confused. When you're worrying, you're actually focusing so much on something that isn't as important as what you ought to be thinking about. So he says, life's more than food. You know, food is supposed to serve life. Food is a tool, something that supports life. But food is not the goal. Food is not the end of, the. he's not, we're not focused on food, or we shouldn't be. Uh, Sometimes I do focus on food, but that's not supposed to be the goal. The goal is life. Food was given to us just so we can live. Life is more important than food. Well, when we worry, we neglect what's most important. Think about when you worry. When you're worried, aren't you forgetting what Jesus says is most important? When you're worried about earthly things, material things? Are you worried about what what is most important? So he wants to give illustrations, or he gives illustrations. When we're worried, we neglect what's most important. And so he gives illustrations to support that idea. In verse 26, we get a lesson from the birds. Love the birds. We get a lesson from the birds. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he poses the next question. Aren't you worth more than they? So, what is he saying about the birds? Some of you, you've seen birds. Uh, Here's something to consider Do birds farm? No. What he says is birds are not farmers. Some of you are farmers. You have to plant seeds. What happens if you don't plant? You don't have a crop. It's that simple. If you don't plant it, it ain't coming. You got to work hard to plant. Well, guess what? Birds don't plant. Have you ever seen a worried bird? Have you ever seen like a bird just with its feathers, just wringing its hands like, oh, I don't know if the worms are going to come out today or I don't know where I'm going to get this stuff. No, there's you've never seen. You know, it's funny. Worry bird actually kind of rolls off the tongue well, but it makes no sense because there is no bird that's worried. You've never seen a worried bird. Uh, And he says, consider them. They don't farm. They, they don't sow. sowing's like investing. They don't gather into barns, meaning they have to rely on food on a daily basis. They, they don't have storehouses like we do. So every time they eat, they have to work in order to eat, and they're not worried. And then he, then he brings them in like, well, who cares about the birds? I'm not a bird, so like maybe I should worry. And so he says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Isn't that cool? Why does he say Heavenly Father? Well, think about it. What is the relationship between God and birds? He's their creator. Now, what sounds more intimate and relational, creator or father? Well, that's, I'm sure that's debatable a little bit because creator is so intimate in the way that he designed us. But he says, "Your Heavenly Father. He's not a father to the birds, and yet he feeds them. Now, think about it. If he's just their creator... They're not even made in his image. They don't even, they cannot sow, they don't have barns, and he makes sure they can eat. How much more valuable are you to him because you're his child? How much more valuable? Consider it. God is your heavenly father. If you are more important to him, won't he feed you? So the second observation Worry, worried uh, neglects what's most important, and secondly, worry forgets God's provision and care. What Jesus is saying, when you're worried, you are likely forgetting that God is your heavenly Father and He cares about you, and He feeds other people, why would He not feed you? He feeds birds, and they're nothing compared to you. Won't He feed you too? Worry forgets about God's provision and care. So don't worry. And I do want to make a special note, because people can somehow misunderstand this passage. Think about how does God feed them. Does God throw bird seed in their nests? No. Birds still have to work. Working is a good thing. If you can work and you choose not to, the Bible says you shouldn't eat. Work is still important. You don't want to misunderstand what Jesus is saying about birds. They're fed by God, but they're not baby-fed. They're not spoon-fed. They're given the ability to work and get food. So do not worry is not equivalent to do not work. This isn't an advocation for laziness. It's not what Jesus meant, not what Jesus wanted, not what He's teaching, not what the Bible teaches. We ought to still work, so there's still work involved as you trust in God, but you don't have to worry about Him giving it to you. Have you ever heard uh, the idiom, the early bird gets the worm? Right? Believe it or not, that was not quoted by a bird. A bird never said that. <laughs> uh, but other viewers, other bird watchers have viewed this and said, hey, the early bird gets the worm. If you, if, you, if, if you work hard and you work early, you will have an advantage to get what you're wanting if you work hard. So birds are not lazy, and neither should we be. But we should look at the birds and say, wow, God feeds them And he's just their creator. He's our heavenly father. Of course, he'll feed us. And then Jesus makes another point about worry. Number three, worry adds nothing to your life. The reason why you shouldn't worry is because it benefits you zero. In verse 27, he says, Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? Or maybe your translation speaks of height. Can you add one inch to your height? Can you do anything? Uh, You can't add anything by word. No one ever sat there worried, wringing their hands after an hour and said, I'm glad I got that done. Really made some traction. I got some headway on this issue that I'm facing. I'm glad I spent about an hour and a half mulling over it. No one ever said that. Worry does not help you. Uh, It made me think, in in my office I have a... uh, A number of coffee cups, one of them is a joke by a friend, it's got a mustache on it and some funny stuff to make fun of me like all my friends do. Uh, Anyway, and I was looking at that coffee cup and I thought, you know what worry makes me think of? Imagine if worry was like you thinking we got to get all the water out of the ocean and you took a coffee mug and went to the beach and started scooping up water and throwing it on land. That's about as productive as worry is. You're going to solve problems just the same as if you worry. Worry adds nothing to your life. Um, There was a doctor named Charles Horace Mayo. He and his brother Will started this small clinic called the Mayo Clinic. It's headquartered in uh, Rochester, Minnesota. He's quoted for saying this, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I have never known a man who died from overwork, but many who died from worry. Worry negatively affects you. It only subtracts, it only takes away, it does not add. So he poses this question, can you add anything to your life? No. Worry does not add, it only subtracts. It takes your joy, it takes your time, it takes your focus, it'll take you away from praying, from trusting, from seeking God's kingdom, which he's about to get to. Worry will only take you away from what God has called you to do. doesn't change the situation And so he makes this final point about worry in the next three verses. Number four, worry lacks faith, which is the worst part about worry. Worry lacks faith in God. In verse 28, he says, And why do you worry about clothes? Now, before we continue, I don't want any of you husbands messing with your wives about this one, especially if she's ready to go summer shopping or whatever. This idea of worried about clothes is not the same thing. And I'll just throw me under the bus. Uh, My wife takes up less space in our closet than I do. Now, I have suits, okay? She didn't have suits. But I do care about clothes. Maybe too much, I don't know. Uh, There's been times where I've come out of the closet, not the same thing. Actually, let me rephrase that. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Let me think about how I'm going to say this. I, I pulled a will. You know, sometimes you don't think about what you're... Anyway, okay. I have stepped physically outside of the room that we keep our clothes in, and I've looked at Courtney and said, hey, does this, does this match? Are these shoes okay with this shirt? Is it too light? Is it too dark? And she gives me an answer. You know, she tries, and she tells me her opinion. Normally, it's like, yeah, it's fine. And then about four minutes later, I come up with a brand new outfit with different shoes. I'm like, "What about these, though? Does this?" End? And I'm sure I wear her out with this. I just, tear, you know, I just wear her. It's not that way. It's not. Do you worry about clothes? It means, are you worried about your survival? Are you worried about things you need? Legitimate things that you need. You do need clothes to survive, especially in the desert. So when Jesus is using this, don't think petty thoughts about clothes. Think about survival. He says, and why do you worry about clothes, things you need to survive? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, Solomon was a king in Israel uh, a thousand years before this. He's considered the richest and wisest man that ever lived. He had everything he needed, all the gold and fabrics of the whole world. And uh, Jesus uses him as an example and says, you see these wildflowers? Like some of them are weeds, what we consider weeds. You see these things that are beautiful? Have you ever seen a really beautiful fa- flower and just thought, this is amazing? How did God do this? Um, my wife loves flowers and she's got me more into it because I care about her and she's right. It is beautiful and it makes me think of creation. We have, we have new landscaping in our around our yard. We have rose bushes of different colors like red and there's a mustard rose thing. I think it's a rose. It's a mustard thing. It's like red on one side and like yellowish orange on another side, but it's just so pretty. It's so neat. And Jesus says, look at these flowers. Your God has designed them to be more beautiful than you'll ever dress. You'll never have clothes like this. Not even the richest man that ever lived was adorned like these things. And they're here today, gone tomorrow. They sprout out, they bloom, they're beautiful, and then they're dead. If that's how God treats flowers, what do you think He feels and is willing to do for you? Why, why wouldn't you know that God would totally care for you if He cares for them? If, verse 30, if that's how God closed the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you You of little faith. And so he brings the real issue. You know what the worst issue is about? Worry, it lacks faith in God. And that's what he gets to. He concludes with this about worry. You of little faith. Worry lacks faith in God, and that's the real heart issue. And so the next few verses, Jesus turns the page just slightly, and he wants to tell us what to do. Instead of worry, we should have faith. We should trust in God. We don't have to worry. And there's some practical steps we can take with this. But he tells us what to do when we're faced with worry. So when you're faced with worry and you think of these four observations and say, it makes no sense to worry. It lacks faith. It adds nothing. It, um, it neglects what's important. It forgets God's provision and care. Worry is, it makes no sense. But you are going to worry because worry is not just an action. It's a feeling. Worry is a result of fear. So you're going to have worries. So when you worry, what do you do? If you know it doesn't make sense and you want to battle it, what do you do? He he begins this way in verse 31. So, don't worry, verse 31, saying, "What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear?" For the Gentiles, the non-believers of that day, the non-believers eagerly seek all these things. They're consumed with it. They're worried about these things. For they seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So instead of worry, have faith. Faith trusts in God. So every time you're battling worry, remember, make the choice. It's a commitment. It's a personal choice. It's an action. I'm going to trust God that He's a heavenly Father that knows what I need. He he understands where I am. He, He knows what's necessary. I'm not the only one and trust in Him that He cares and He knows. Faith, trust in God. And that's not all. The next verse, in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So put your faith in Him. Faith, trust God, and faith seeks God's kingdom. Replace your worry and all the time you would spend worrying. Instead, think What is the best for God's kingdom? How can I build God's kingdom right now in the midst of this? What can I do to seek his righteousness, to live righteously? So here's a practice that it's not my own. I've learned this from others. Um, I did, I've been studying the brain, and I've been studying like our thinking and mental health because there's such this big advocation of mental health in churches right now. We live in a new era. Mental health is the new big thing uh, with people. They say preachers are inadequate if they don't understand mental health. Now, I don't agree with that because I think we have the Scripture, but I think it's important we understand our brothers and sisters and mental health and all that. And so I've been studying that. Do you know that worry begins in a part of your brain that you don't even think about? There's like the center part of your brain that holds in hurts and worries and fears, and it holds it, and it's so close to your spine, when you, when you, before you're even thinking about what you're worried about, you already tense up. I'll give you an example. Let's say uh, you want to scare my kids, okay? And you hide behind the door, and when they walk in, you run out, rawr, and they just... Whoosh, Before they even think, someone is trying to scare me. They don't even have that thought. They're already defending themselves and clenching up, that that kind of fear tactic. That starts somewhere in your brain that you don't think about. And in order to deal with certain fears that you have, things that you regularly worry about, you have to pray. You have to talk to God and tell Him the truth. Your words, your verbal words, create what's called a neuropathway from that part of your brain to different parts of your brain where you're able to process those things and it doesn't just get stuck there where you're like, Ugh, I'm tense, this thing is happening, I don't even know why. It doesn't even make sense, I'm just afraid. In order to get that out and, and deal with that health in a healthy way, you have to do something God created from the very beginning. Pray to Him, tell Him the truth, tell Him your concern, tell Him why you're worried. So there's these tactics that certain Christians have Whatever you worried about, because some of you worry a lot, you worry often, you know you're an extra worrier, you need to figure out what causes me to worry and write it out. Let's say uh, your kids or your grandkids cause you to worry. Something about their situation, where they are in life, where they're not, where they're going, anything. You need to have a private journal where you write out what makes you worry, what causes, not makes you, but causes you to worry, Write it out and then make what's called a kingdom plan. Make a plan and say a prayer. Make a plan, okay, if I'm seeking your kingdom first, what in your kingdom is connected with this concern I have about my kids or my grandkids? And write it out, God, every time I'm worried about this, I'm going to pray in this way for my kids, for my health, for my job, whatever. I'm going to write it out, make a plan every single time I worry. Now, some of you need to have other steps like you need to stop watching the nightly news. You watch the news and you worry, and you watch the news too much, and you're hearing that agenda. The news preaches to you. It's a sermon. It's got an agenda. It's got got a goal in mind. It's trying to advertise in a certain way. It's somebody's opinion. It's not just information. And you watch the news so much, it gets you all worried up, and you're like, what am I going to do? Here's one thought. Stop watching the news. Read it if you need to. Just stop watching it. But there's most of us, we need journals, we need to write it down. What makes me worry? And then make a kingdom plan and a kingdom prayer. Every time this happens, like let's say I'm worried about my health, here's my kingdom plan. Every time I think about it, I'm going I'm to say this, God, my plan was to exercise, or my plan is to do this, or I'm going to start eating that. Here's my plan. Go over it. Read it out loud. Here's my plan, according to God, what his kingdom wants, and then write a prayer. A kingdom plan, a kingdom prayer. Here's my prayer for my health and whatever else. By doing that, you are seeking God's kingdom first. And you're seeking Him first in prayer. And so faith seeks God's kingdom. And there's very practical ways in which you could do this. It's not just this Christian heavenly idea of what does it mean to seek the kingdom. It's practical steps that you can take. And number seven, faith gives worries to God. This is the kingdom prayer part. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul tells them, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And and God will give you peace, a peace that passes understanding as you give your cares to Him. So worry is a result of fear, but peace is a result of faith. And in order to live out that faith, you trust God, you seek His kingdom you pray. say, Make a kingdom plan, make a kingdom prayer. Pray, cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you, and He'll give you a peace. And so, Jesus ends this part of the sermon in verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And when he says each day has enough trouble of its own, each day's trouble is sufficient for itself, maybe your translation says, what Jesus is saying in a not-so-nice way to them, they get it. What Jesus is saying is, you don't have time to worry. If you're focused today on the kingdom, you don't have enough time to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. There's enough trouble for tomorrow that when you get to tomorrow, you'll be busy with tomorrow. Every day has enough of its own, seek his kingdom, put that faith in God, make that prayer, say that prayer a hundred times in a day. Some of you, it's either at night or in the morning or certain times, you need to say this prayer over and over, whatever that prayer is that you write out in casting your anxieties, your fears, your worries, and giving them to God. If you focus each day just for that day, that's the plan. So he's telling them, you don't have time to worry about tomorrow. You're living today. You don't even know if you're going to make it to tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Focus on what God has for you today. And, and that's all I've got about worry. So uh, there, there's more, but we're right on time uh, to let you out right away. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, your wisdom. It's so good to read your words uh, in Scripture and to know that you hold the truth. We don't have to worry, we don't have to guess, we don't have to doubt. Your word is true, and I thank you that you've commanded us not to worry. You've given us instruction and wisdom on how it doesn't help, and it does no good, and it lacks faith, it neglects, it confuses, it forgets. Would you make us a people of faith that we would trust in you, and would you help us each day to cast our our worries and our anxieties on you. We love you because you first loved us. You're the one, you're the reason why we meet. You're the reason why we're Christians. You're the reason why we have a relationship with you. You have done it all and you did it first. And so we give our lives to you again. Would you be with us as we go? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Love God boldly, love people sacrificially, lead others to do the same, make disciples. We are the church. Let's go be the church. Grace, we are sent.